on Ethiopian, Ethiopian Empress Tetu Batul was our 20th episode. Technically, that, today that means my podcast can drink. And who doesn't need a drink these days? <laughs> okay, moving on before I perjure myself, this is your lovely host, Mary Jane. And I began writing this episode Wednesday morning after waking up to find my building's water shut off and I had to evacuate for, and I quote, health and safety reasons, which turned into a 12 and a half hour ordeal and some much-needed research time. But spring is in the air, and I am running on 13 hours of sleep for this week, and when I was approached with an endless dilemma, how to cover some of the most incredible princesses India has ever known. And there are a lot of princesses. So today, we're doing another tip-of-the-iceberg dive into Indian royalty. And I'm going to give a hearty preface here. These are technically Indian princesses. Princess Durushawar and Princess Nilifer were two cousins, the last Ottoman princesses who married into Indian nobility and became incredibly influential advocates for women's health, education, social standing, and fashion. Not to compare these incredible ladies to the icon of Princess Di, but if you like fashionable divorces whose exquisite beauty and charitable nature captivated the hearts of the East and West, you'll have fun today. Princess Darushawar was the daughter of the last heir to the Ottoman throne, his imperial majesty Sultan Abul Majid Adifi. Darushawar was born on January 16, 1914, at Kalimka Palace in Istanbul. She was only 10 years old when the Ottoman Empire collapsed following the de their defeat in World War I. A new republic was declared, and the ruling Ottomans were exiled, with the caliphate given only a day's notice before being forced to leave Turkey, after the ratification of the, the Turkish constitution in 1924. Darushawar and her cousin, Princess Nilfer Farhat Begum, moved to Nice, France with their family. Nilfer was born in 1916 at Gazote Palace in Istanbul, and was only eight when the family moved to France in March of 1924. Her mother belonged to the royal family, and her father was a prominent noble at court. Darushawar's father received several marriage offers for his daughter, all of which he declined on the grounds that Darushawar was still underaged. Until, of course, he received an offer from, for Darushawar to marry Prince Azamja, the son of the last Nizam of Hibaradad. The Nizam, or king, was the richest ruler in the world, and an alliance with the deposed caliph would signal a new Islamic power on the world stage to fill the vacuum created by the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. For our geography people, the city of Hibaradad is the current capital of the state of Telangana in southern India. The caliph set a mar, or bride price, at 50,000 pounds. The Nizim, perhaps rightfully, considered this far too high until the caliph posed that this would be a kind of two-for-one deal. For the same price, he would marry his daughter to the oldest prince and his niece, Nilifer, to Nizam's second son, Moazajah. The Nizam readily agreed and sent his two sons to France for the wedding. The religious ceremony took place on November 12, 1931, a day after the Indian princess arrived by train from London. And I can only imagine the jet lag. Darushawar was 18 and her cousin Nilfer was only 16 at the time of the marriage. A civil ceremony took place in London, 
ensuring that in the event of divorce or death of the husband, Daru Shawar would receive $200,000 in compensation. Nilifer would receive $75,000. Nice. Darushawar and Nilifer sailed with their husbands from Venice for Hiberdad, also accompanied by Darushawar's mother. On this voyage, the princesses were educated on how to wear saris and proper court conduct, fully briefed on how to meet the Nizam and conduct themselves at court. Apparently, Muhammad Gandhi was also on this voyage and hung out with the princesses, so there's your historical crossover for the day. Darushawar was elegant, beautiful, and tall. She was a lot taller than her husband, which is something the Nizam liked to make fun of and proves that at our core, men never change. Darushawar was highly educated, talented in painting and poetry, as well as speaking French, Turkish, Urdu, and English. She advocated for women to receive higher levels of schooling and to be able to provide for themselves. Darushawar would establish a junior college for girls that bears her name, and it was highly active in the social betterment of women, mainly in opposing the Purda system. The Purda system was, and still is, practiced by some Muslim and Hindu com- communities, involving the physical separation of the sexes. Women would live in different parts of the home from men, wearing concealing clothing, and often only interacting with men from behind veils or screens. This originally Persian practice was adopted by Islamic conquerors and eventually spread to Muslim and Hindu elite. Durushawar established the Durushawar Children's Hospital at Pernai Havali in Hiberdad, routinely coming by to make sure the hospital was running smoothly. This hospital still exists today and is a nonprofit providing affordable health care for everyday people. Durushawar gave birth to her first son, Mukaramja, in 1933, and a second son, Mufakam John, in 1939. However, Jerusha's marriage had fallen apart within two years, though she still carried herself regally and continued her work despite her husband's many concubines. Nilfer would face similar challenges, though her marriage initially began with much more affection from her husband. Only 16 at the time of the marriage, Nilfer would come to live at Balaknuma Palace in Hibaradat in 1931. When she was first introduced to court, the Nizam Mir Osmar Ali Khan Mahubub Pasha turned to his guests and said, Permit me to introduce one of my jewels. The Nizam often referred to both women as his jewels. He adored his daughter-in-laws, supporting Nilifar and Durushawar in their efforts to promote women's education and rights, throwing many parties for them. Nilifar was one of the first women in the royal family to throw parties and attend events unveiled and unattended. She and her cousin encouraged women to unveil and to combat the Purta system. The Nizam sent the cousins on trips to Europe to broaden their minds and acquire art for his museums, and encouraged them to play sports like tennis and horseback riding. Darushwar and her husband even attended the 21st anniversary of King George V's ascension to the throne in 1935, and then King George VI's coronation in 1937. Nilifar and the Nizam had an especially unique bond. Having lost her father at a young age, before her marriage, Nilifar wrote to her future father-in-law, hoping to find a father figure in him. The Nizam was touched and even allowed her to call him Papa in private, something even his own daughters didn't do. Nilifar and Darushwar were the darlings of court, 
Revered for their grace and elegance, the two princesses captivated the imagination of the West and brought Indian fashion and nobility to the world stage. The socialites and philanthropists transformed Hibaradad's social circle. Nilifer's marriage was strained, in part due to her inability to have children. A few years into the union, pressure was mounting for Nilifer to conceive, and she had to consult European fertility doctors when she realized that there were none in Hibaradad. Around the same time, one of Nilifer's maids died during childbirth due to a lack of maternity resources. She persuaded the Nizam to start a specialty hospital for women and children, which was eventually named after her. Her fervent public life as a socialite and philanthropist made Nilfer an icon of female empowerment in India. Nilfer's nickname was Kuhinur of Hibaradad, meaning Mountain of Light. And during World War II, this Mountain of Light trained as a nurse and carried out relief missions for Indian soldiers. Nilfer eventually separated from her husband and moved back to France with her mother. The couple divorced after 21 years of marriage in 1952, when Nilfer was only 36. In 1948, Moazim her husband, had taken a second wife, Razia Begum, who bore him a son. Darushwar also divorced her husband, staying in Hibadadad for several years before going along to Paris with Nilfer. 1948 was a very tough year, partly in terms of the second wife, child, debacle, but also because Hibaradad was annexed by the Indian Republic as part of Operation Polo. A.K.A. Hibaradad was invaded by a massive police force, and the Nizam was reduced to a figurehead. It wasn't until her divorce that the Nilfer Hospital she worked on with the Nizam was officially opened, using the promised money Nilfer was granted in her marriage in case of divorce. The 100-bed maternity hospital has grown today to 500 beds and provides free maternal and pediatric care. Nilfer and Darushawar brought a touch of rebellion into Indian royalty through influences of the West. In many ways, they were a bridge between the East and the West, and nowhere was this more prevalent than in fashion. Often attending fashion shows in London and Paris, the cousins were masterfully talented in transitioning between Eastern and Western attire. Nilfer was especially renowned for her fashion. She worked with several French designers, favoring elaborate embroidery and patterns in her saris. Traditionally, Indian saris utilize bright and bold colors, and this expectation was subverted when Nilfer opted for a western touch in soft pastels. Nilfer actually relied on Parisian designers like Lanvian and Madhavdas in Bombay, customizing designs with Indian weavers with opulent materials like Banarsari brocade to mix traditional and new styles. Reporters attentively studied her fashion, alternating between sweeping off-the-shoulder Parisian gowns and more traditional dress, showing off her status as a princess. Jewelry was another area that captivated her social circles. Pearls, gemstones, studded bracelets. You can imagine the bling. Several jewelers even created collections in her honor. Vogue photographed Nilifer in some of her saris, and pieces of Nilifer's collection remains on display at the New York's Fashion Institute of Technology. Darushwar and Nilifer were international socialites, partying with heads of state and 20th century celebrities at every turn. Nilifer was a natural hostess, and her countenance and violet eyes apparently made men go weak in the knees. Nilifer was even approached on several instances by Hollywood filmmakers, turning down every offer 
for the chance of being a movie star. Ten years after the divorce, Nilifer remarried to Edward J. Pope in 1963, a former American Defense Department official who actually worked in Hollywood as an executive and screenwriter. Apparently, Edward was three years her junior and had intended to make a film on his wife's life using documents she preserved after all. This match seemed to be more successful, lasting the rest of Nilifer's lifetime. Not only was it incredibly unusual and unprecedented for a woman to remarry after divorce, but even more so to marry someone outside of her religion and culture. Both princesses remained active in the affairs of the family. Darushawar ensured her sons got a Western education, with one of them even attending Eton, and married Turkish brides per her request. Her visits back to Hibedadad attracted huge crowds, and one British official remarked that, should circumstance have allowed, Darush Shawar would have been the most powerful queen in the world. In 1954, Darush Shawar called Nilifer for her help. The Turkish government refused to have her fathers buried in Istanbul. The deposed caliph had requested to be buried in Turkey or Hibaradad, and through Nilifer's connections, they received permission from the king of Saudi Arabia to bury him in the Al-Baqi, the oldest Median Islamic cemetery in the world, where many of the relatives of the Prophet Muhammad are buried. The Rushavar sponsored the Rushavar Children's and General Hospital in 1983 under the patronage of her son, Mukaraja. Accompanied by her son, Mufakaja, and his wife, Princess Rain, the Rushavar attended the Durban dinner to commemorate 400 years since Hibaradat's founding. A united dinner from both India and Pakistan her last visit to Iberdad was in 2004, and in 2006, Princess Darushawar died on February 7th in London, surrounded by her two sons. Despite being Ottoman royalty, she refused to be buried in Turkey because of the government's refusal to bury her father in Istanbul so many years ago. Instead, she's now buried in Brookwood or London. Nilifer died in Paris on June 12, 1989, and is buried alongside her mother and cousin Salma, at the Muslim-only Bobingi Cemetery. Her husband Edward moved back to Washington and married an old classmate, Evelyn Maddox Pope, in 1990. By 1995, Edward had died, and crazy enough, one of the reasons we know so much about Nilifer is through the efforts of Edward and especially Evelyn. Evelyn worked to honor Nilifer's legacy by sharing collections of her saris to museum exhibitions and through philanthropy donations which is pretty cool. Usually I wrap up by talking about legacy, how we remember these women and their contributions, and there is a lot to go over. In modernizing Hiberdad, by being patrons of medicine and education for women, going as far as directly confronting the practice of isolating the sexes imposed by the Parda system, bridging the East and West through fashion, education, travel, and a dazzling social life, it is no wonder that the contributions of Princess Durushawar and Princess Nilifer are so well remembered. The two remain beloved figures of grace and humanitarianism, a surviving testament to the Ottoman Empire and beloved daughters of their adopted home. I originally intended to do a whole profile on Indian icons, from princesses to revolutionaries, but the scale of these two stories took me by surprise in all the best ways. And I think we may have captured the Princess Revolutionary timeline here. While there are so many stories to revisit in India, 
I really was so drawn to these women and how much of an influence they had in just frankly like so little time in terms of modernizing society to accept women for so much more, especially medical concerns. But speaking of concerns, it is a lovely rainy day. We all have a lot of homework, and I'm sure several college students who are listening to this are fairly hungover, so I think we better wrap it up. I cannot thank you enough for joining me today, and I can't wait to see you next week for another woman who made her story. (laughs) Thank you.